Um, today we're studying again about Moses. Last time when Connie spoke, um, she spoke about Moses, and those are hard footsteps to follow in, but uh, it's a different story. Moses has a lot in the Bible uh, that we see. And, and part of the reason that I, what I see in these stories is the extremes. Um, the people, they, they got to see firsthand all these miracles. They saw the Red Sea parted with their own eyes. They saw the presence of God on the, the mountaintop. They saw these things with their own eyes. They saw um, manna fall from heaven and water come from rocks. And, and, um, and yet they still failed and doubted and... and and they failed again, and it's just such encouragement for us. Um, we weren't there firsthand. We didn't feel God's glory. We didn't feel the earthquakes when the mountain shook and see the fire burning, and they did. But um, we do have God's word that tells us about these things, and uh, I don't know about you personally, but I felt like it was a miracle when the Holy Spirit entered my body and um, I gave my life to him. And so I do have that personal miraculous experience in my life. But, uh, you know, these guys, they really saw it. They were totally dependent on God for their survival in the wilderness. And, and he provided for them. Every one of their needs was provided for, and they still doubted. And so that is encouragement to us because God still loved them. Did he not, ladies? He loved them, and he loves us. And um, I don't know, I think it's kind of neat that God himself led the people through the wilderness. I mean, he's God. He could have had one of the angels. He could have had, like, stirred up a little dirt and made a dinosaur to lead him in the wilderness. I mean, even a liger, you know, we talk about ligers, the lion and tiger mixed things. I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted, but no. God wanted to be with his people, even though he knew their rebellious hearts and that they weren't going to behave as they should all the time. And yet he still loved them and he wanted to be with them. Um, let's see, he could have been lounging in heaven instead with, you know, the angels worshiping him and, and, and throwing, you know, jewels and crowns at his feet. And instead he wanted to be down there in the dusty wilderness with these people who were sinners and they needed him so desperately. And that's where he chose to be. And I think that's incredibly beautiful. Um, and then the name of our study this year is Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And so I'm kind of taking a little bit different approach to this study today. And I couldn't go into every single place that I felt like I saw Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, because there's, I mean, in these, in these, in these chapters that we read from Exodus... But I did want to go over some of them to um, kind of just, I don't know, tell you how I think. I don't know, that's scary. Sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> I get to be up here, so you have to bear with it. <laughs> so anyways, let's pray, ladies. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your beautiful word. I thank you that the deeper that we get into it and the more we look at what you have to say to us, everything in it has meaning, Father God. And I thank you that um, the more we desire to get closer to you, the more you allow us to do so, Father God. 
it's right there for us. Um, everything that we need, all we have to do is search your scriptures and we'll find it, Father God. Thank you for all the clues that you gave them in Old Testament times um, as to the glory of the coming Jesus, who is our King, Father God, and who willingly sacrificed him, his life for us, Father. I thank you for the beauty of that plan that you had for us. And I thank you for our salvation, Father God. And I do pray that if there is any lady here who does not know you in an intimate way, that she would see you today as we talk and and invite you into her life, Father God. I thank you for your beauty and your mercy and your grace and the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's start off in chapter 24 in verse 2 um, when it says that Moses alone can approach God. Um, in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all. So that right there is our first little picture of Christ in, um, in chapter 24. He is our mediator, and he is the one that sits there when we mess up and our sin puts us separated from God, he's the one when we repent that says, look, she repented, praise the Lord, God, you can look back at her again. And I thank him and praise him so much for that. And then in verse 6, chapter 24, verse 6, when it says that Moses sprinkled the blood and sprinkled it on the altar and the people, this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you. In Revelations 1.5, it says, him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's Jesus. That's what that blood represents. It's pointing us to Jesus. In Hebrews 10:19 and 22, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water or the blood of Jesus. Again, thank you, Jesus, for that cleansing that we have in you, that we don't have to sacrifice animals continuously. And after we do that, we sin because we got blood on our new shoe or something, and then we have to do it all over again. We don't have to do that like they did in the Old Testament. Um, we got it once and for all in Jesus when we asked him into our lives. In verse 7 and 12, um, it says in verse 7, then he stood who took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. For five seconds. (laughs) Sounds like getting the blood on your shoe and sinning, right? And in verse 12, it said, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you the tablets of stone and the law and commandments, which I have written so that you may teach them. Um, we see the need for Jesus in the Twelve Commandments and the Book of the Covenant because it's impossible for us to keep the law. Is it not, ladies? That's part of what is going on is, you know, we sin. We're born sinners. Adam and Eve had Eden, and they still managed to sin. I mean, it's almost like sometimes we have to look for something to sin in or about or with, and and, and we do. And... Um, So this is just another reminder that we need Jesus. This is pointing us towards Jesus. 
And let's see, it says the laws in the book of the covenant covered everything from being kind to widows and orphans to murder. We're not under the law in the age of grace. We're not. But we as Christians are still to follow the principles behind the law, which is fairness, justice, mercy, and love. And so part of the reason, and I'll probably harp on you guys a little bit, and myself especially, later is we need to follow those precepts because people, you know, we're told this over and over again. As Christians, people are watching us. Other Christians, our kids, our husbands, our family members who maybe aren't saved, people in the community, people are watching you, people you don't know about. And if you're not being loving and kind and merciful as we have been shown loving kindness and mercy, then we could easily lead people astray. And if we lead people astray, where does that get them? We're going to see it later, but it gets them dead for eternity. That's a big responsibility, ladies. And so I just exhort us all that we need to watch our behavior and we need to watch what comes out of our mouth and we need to watch what we eat and what we drink and where we go and what we do because people are watching us and they know who we are. And if we lead them astray, it leads to their eternal death. Not for sure, but potentially. Um, We were talking in the leader study, but I was raised that all Christians are hypocrites, that Christianity is stupid, it's for stupid, lame, weak people. And, and, um, you know, every example that I saw uh, with preachers on TV, even one time we had some good friends that begged and begged us and begged my husband and I to go to church with them. And the day that we finally consented and went to church with them, their pastor was resigning because he had been having an affair with a girl who was as young as his oldest son, and she was pregnant. And so how did that not reinforce that? What do I want a part of that for? I could be in the world and have people have affairs with kids who are their kids' age. You know what I'm saying? But um, And that could have easily led me to death, but God had other plans for me. Now, I, that didn't happen to me, but it could have. It could happen to anyone. We don't know. We don't know if someone is going to get that other chance or let that other chance break into their hearts. We don't know. So we don't want to be that person that proves once again to them that Christianity is not something that we want a part of by our example. We do not want to be that person that leads to someone's death. So watch yourselves, ladies, please. In verse 11, it says, but they, uh, boy, I typed these really fast last night, and I didn't prove freedom because I was tired. On the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. Um, This is a festive covenant meal. And I learned from my uh, Manners and Customs class that I took last semester (coughs) that um, eating a meal to seal a covenant is very binding. It's like becoming part of each other's family. And um, so if you break a promise to someone, that's bad. But if you break a promise to someone and you've shared a covenant meal with them, 
that's like your best friend who's a Christian and um, who everyone thinks is a saint stabbing you in the back um, with something. I mean, it's, a, it's a much more of a big deal than some random stranger saying something to hurt you. And so these people are making a covenant vow with the Lord. They're eating and drinking with him. Um, this is very symbolic, and it, it, it meant something. It's not like they were just having a big birthday party after. It meant that their covenant was a covenant of love and friendship and that they were a family with the Lord. And so they just weren't getting it. And then uh, verse 18, so Moses went up the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Um, Leanne spoke about it in one of her teachings. There's 40s, 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 40s a lot in the Bible. And um, she, uh, you didn't find anything what it meant, did you? Yeah, what I thought was just that they thought that was a, long enough to give something a chance to go, right, basically. <laughs> and so, that was it, okay. So, um, that's, Moses went up to the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and um, twice on two separate occasions. And one of the things that I found out, which is just a kind of a side note that I found interesting, um, they believe that this was Mount Sinai that he went up on um, these times, and that mountain is 7,000 feet. And so he's walking up and down, up and down, up and down this mountain with these big old stone tablets, and it's 7,000 feet. Just to give you some perspective of um, what Moses did for these people, he loved them and he loved the Lord. He is willing to work for it, the Lord. He was happy to do so. And it wasn't like a stroll to the corner. He went 7,000 feet up to meet with the Lord on more than one occasion. And I just found that to be kind of an interesting fact. Like the things that he was asked to do were not easy things. And he did them with a glad heart. And I think that's a good example for us as well. And again, I think that points us to Jesus. What he did on the cross for us, he did with a glad heart, even though it was not easy to do. Um, he begged for that cup to be taken from him if, if it could, if there was some other way, and uh, it couldn't. And so he said, okay, then, I'm glad to do this for my people because I love him. And so that, to me, points to Jesus as well and what he did for us. Um, let's see. And... Okay, now we're in chapter 25, verse 2. It says, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly from his heart, you shall take my offering. Again, Jesus willingly and lovingly made his offering of his body that we would be able to be healed from our sin, cleansed, and made new. And... I would like to ask you ladies, when you feel the Lord calling on you to do something for him, try to do it with the right heart. Don't be like, Lord, I have to do this for you? Really? Let's try to be like, Lord, thank you, I get to do this for you. Because Jesus was glad to give his life for us because he loved us that much. 
And so whether he asks you to be a missionary in some place with snakes, which would be my worst, worst nightmare, um, to um, changing diapers in the nursery, do it with a happy heart, with a loving heart, glad to serve the Lord in, the, in where he's called you. Um, and again, because of your happy, gracious heart that you have doing whatever the Lord's called you to do, um, your light, the light of the Lord that's in you and dwelling you is going to shine out and it's going to draw people to him. But if you're there and you don't have a happy heart, you're not drawing people close to you and close to him. And that, you know, this is another side note, but I know a few Jehovah's Witnesses and I've yet to see one of them that seem happy. When they come knocking on my door and stuff, they seem tired. They don't seem happy. I don't see the Lord's light shining down for them, out from them. And I just feel like, yeah, trying to earn your salvation is hard. It's impossible. It's exhausting. And how can you be happy if you're exhausted trying to earn that which you cannot earn? You can't because you're too tired. And so... Again, there's another thing that just points us to Jesus, that we don't have to earn our salvation. He did it for us. He did it for us. And let's see. Oh, and this is the offering you shall take from them. Gold, silver, bronze, purple, blue, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, round skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, Oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones uh, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Um, these, I kind of went over, they're symbols of different things in the Bible, and none of them are straight up symbols of Jesus. But the reason that I'm going to go over what they mean um, symbolically is just to point you guys to the fact that the deeper you get into God's word, the deeper that you look into it, everything has meaning. Um, Dave Hall did a study years ago for the men's breakfast where he talked about the lineage of Christ and how all the names meant something. And I I wish he would do that for us. He did a little bit of it on a Wednesday night recently when Jeff was gone. But... um, It's just really neat. Even those genealogies that seem so dry and boring have things that point us to Christ, things that point us to what's to come. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. And the deeper you look at it, the more you learn and find. And so I just kind of wanted to give a little bit of insight to what I found about why God asked for some of these things for the ark. Um, Gold is symbolic of the riches of heaven, faith, and scripture. Silver is symbolic of pure words and understanding. And blue is symbolic of the law. Purple is symbolic of royalty. Scarlet is symbolic of sin and corruption. Fine linen is symbolic of righteousness. Did I say bronze? I think I skipped bronze. Bronze is um, symbolic of sin and forgiveness. And uh, fine linen is symbolic of righteousness and acacia wood. Now, this one I kind of make up. But I was looking at that, and it said that it was pretty much the only wood that was available. 
and it's very dense. And that made me think of us. We're available and we're very dense. Uh, that's me. That's not what the Bible says. But I just thought, you know, that was kind of true because he does use us and we're available and we're dense, right? And so... Um, <laughs> and uh, Onyx, um, the truths of faith and shining stones um, signify the truth shining through from the Lord. Um, and there was a few things like the, the acacia wood and the goat's hair um, that they used in the curtains that, that were kind of everyday things, They're what was available. And I looked and looked and looked to find if symbolically they meant anything, and really I couldn't find anything except what it made me think of is that, again, the Lord can use ordinary things to make beautiful, great things. And that reminds me of how Jesus has made us beautiful and clean um, through his sacrifice for us. And um, so I thought that was really nice. There was a lot more things that um, are mentioned in the building of it, but that was just a few to kind of get you guys looking for those things when you read through the Bible and searching for those clues and insights that he gives us into the glory of um, heaven and, and the beauty of the coming Lord and um, just all the things that are there for us to find their treasures that we can find in our Bibles. And um, in verse 8, it says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. How beautiful is that again? God wants to dwell among us. He could be in heaven. I mean, we can't even imagine how glorious heaven is. It's too much for our small minds. And he could be there, but he wants to be with us. That is such a beautiful gift. I'm so thankful for that love that he has for us. Um, the tabernacle that he had them build was beautiful and ornate and worthy of the king. But it was portable because God wants to dwell with his people. And he didn't want the people to have to come to him. He wanted to go with the people. And that shows what kind of a God we have. He's so loving and he's so beautiful. And he loves us so much. And um, let's see. And Emmanuel is a name for Jesus that means God with us. In Matthew 1.23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So that fact that God wanted to be with his people and that the testimony would travel with them where they went is symbolic of Jesus coming, God with us. And in verse 9, it says, According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Um, we need to heed God's instructions. And he gives us instructions for everything that we're to do. We just need to ask him, and he will give us wisdom in abundance. He wants us to ask for his direction. He wants us to ask for his guidance. He wants us to look to him for everything. Um, and Connie said one time years and years ago about uh, when we go shopping and you're not sure if you should buy a blouse or something, or even if you do really want this blouse, you should pray first. And it just really struck me because there's, like, wars going on. There's people being horribly abused. There's big things happening in this world, big things. 
and yet he cares what blouse I buy. I mean, that just really tells me how personal our God is. It's not just about, and another one that killed me when I first got saved, I had no problem with God loving us as a group. As a group, we make up a pretty cool mess of people here. I mean, you know, between us all, we do some pretty neat things, right? But me individually, that got me. Me individually, he knows me. He knows everything about me, and he cares. That's crazy. That's crazy to me if you really think about it. I don't know. That one hits me hard still. It just hits me hard, ladies. God is with us, with me, and I thank him for that. But I need to heed his instructions, and I need to seek what he would have for me, and I need to follow those instructions to a T. If I want what's best for me and I want to avoid problems in my life, if I want to avoid hardship and trials and, and all of that, if I would seek in everything that I do, if I would seek to find him and seek what he has for me, life would be so much easier, so much easier. And then in verse 17, it says, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. The Hebrew word, for the mercy seat is kaporeth, and that means to cover or overspread. Who's Jesus? Is he not our covering for our sin? So that's very symbolic of Jesus. And when God came down and spoke to them from above the mercy seat in 22, to me that shows us God in heaven and Jesus coming down to earth and um and being here, and Jesus being our intercessor between God and man. And let's see. In verse 37, it says that um, you'll have seven lamps and... uh, Okay, seven lamps on the lampstand. And then seven is this number for spiritual perfection in the Bible. That's a symbol. And um, the lamps are symbolic of the word of God. So just another symbol that's there for us, a little nugget, a little treasure for us to dig out. Like he's not just talking about each of these individual things. He doesn't have something in there for no reason. Everything in there meant something. And that's all treasures, nuggets for us to dig out from God's word. Everything. And... Oh, and then they had the seven branches and the seven lamps on the lamp stand. And it's just kind of neat to me because that became the basic um, arrangement of the menorah for um, Jews today. And so everything is symbolic, has meaning. Um, It's just really beautiful. And then one more interesting fact that I found out because they used... Um, a talent of gold in the making um, of the lampstand, and it was all supposed to be out of one piece. Well, a talent is 125 pounds. And so that's a lot of gold. And then I started wondering, because everything means something, and this is just me wondering, but I'm like, I wonder if that's how much Jesus weighed. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that that's what it was. You know what I'm saying? Because everything in here has meaning, but that's just me. That, that, that's something I was like, ooh. 
because I know it means something. All right, in verse, uh, chapter 32, in verses 1 through 4, we see the people um, give up on Moses coming back and decide that they need a God. And Aaron makes them the calf, and they say, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. It would appear that they were kind of blending their gods like they were used to in Egypt. And um, they wanted it both ways. They wanted to be able to do what they wanted to do, but they weren't quite ready to give up on God. And um, they just wanted to make up their own rules about how you get to heaven and, and do what they want. And I think that pretty much shows us the world now, I mean, through all the ages. We want to be able to get to heaven. We want to make up our own rules. Um, and certainly that's, that was, I had my own rules before I got saved. One of the things was I'm being the best person that I can be. And if God doesn't want me, then he's not a very good God. That was my thing that I always said. And... Um, you know, that's how the world is. We, we want to make up our own rules. We don't want to follow the rules. We don't want to do what someone else tells us. And we certainly want to think that we're smarter than everybody else in at least one area or another. Um, and so that's certainly a picture of the world there. And Aaron, <laughs> Moses' brother, led the people to break the first three commandments that they had just got. They just, oh, we're going to do it. Oh, everything that you've said, Lord. But they got him, or they bowed down to another god. They made a graven image, and they used the Lord's name in fake worship. Boy, is this not a picture of how we need Jesus? They just made that promise that they were going to follow God's commands, and they blew it. That's how it is with the law. That's what the law is there to show us, is that we need Jesus. And this also shows us that they did not have a personal relationship with God. It was basically based on Moses telling them, this is what the Lord said, this is what we should do. And they're like, okay, because Moses was the leader. He's probably a cool guy. They're used to him taking care of him, them. And so they were like, okay, whatever you say, just kind of blindly following. They didn't really believe. They didn't have that personal relationship with the Lord. And... We need to have a personal relationship with the Lord. We need not think. And, you know, I, I teach faith girls their junior high. And that's one of the things Jennifer does with me, or I do with her. But one of the things that I'm trying to teach them is you're at that age now. You need to be coming here because you love the Lord for yourself, not because your parents believe. You need to find your own place in the Lord and where you are with him and if you believe in him and you need to start being ready to give a defense for the hope that's in you because that's how you help bring your friends, your schoolmates to the Lord. If you know who you are in Christ, um, then you can stand against the trials of this world. You can stand against the peer pressure that comes against you. Um, Valerie, we were in a group recently and um, she's been a Christian her whole life. And one of the ladies said that because of her behavior in junior high school um, helped her to come to salvation later in life. I don't remember who it was. Carmen. Okay. And um, Valerie had no idea, no idea that Carmen was watching her. Um, she was just being who she was in Christ. And it led to someone's salvation. And it wasn't even right then. We don't always see, we don't always see um, 
how our lives are affecting other people. And so, again, that's why we need to be watching ourselves, what we say and do, because it does make a difference. It can save someone's life the same as it can help someone perish eternally. It could help someone spend eternity in heaven. And that is a good thing. And let's see. When they rose in verse 6 early on the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Let me tell you, ladies, the Hebrew word used here is the same one that they used to describe the world before the flood. It suggests that they were into partying and very debauched. They weren't doing anything good. They weren't sipping tea and having crumpets. No, they were naked and doing naughty things and not stuff the Lord would have for us. But in verses 11 through 13, we see beauty, beauty, beauty in the way that Moses intercedes, intercedes for the people. He begs for them. He offers his own salvation for them. And the same that Jesus intercedes for us, and he offered his life for us. Moses did the same thing. That points, he didn't give his life, but he offered it. And that points us again to Jesus. Uh, In verse 19, when Moses drops the tablets, it's symbolic of the broken law. The law does not make us holy. Believing in Jesus and asking him to be our Lord and Savior does. Uh, In verse 22, Aaron said, Do not let the anger of our Lord become hot. You know the people, they're set on corruption. Reminds me again of the world. We don't want to accept responsibility for anything. For anything. You see, parents, I used to volunteer at the school a lot, and so many times the parents blame everyone else for their bad behavior, their kids' bad behavior. I had a girlfriend, um, she's one of my best friends for years and years and years, and her daughter couldn't read until way late in life. I mean, just really struggled in reading. And my friend um, was into softball, addicted to softball. She worked and played softball, and that's pretty much it. And so we were roommates at the time when her daughter was getting a little bit older. And I said, doesn't it concern you that your daughter can't read? Maybe you should quit playing softball a little bit and and work with her. And she said, oh, no, that's the school's responsibility. And that's how our world is. We don't want to accept responsibility for anything. We just don't, not even our own children, not our actions especially. And that's not what the Lord would have for us. But praise him that we do have Jesus covering our sins when we do mess up. But be aware. Be ready to take responsibility for what you do. If uh, nowhere else, when you pray, you need to give it to, you know, repent and say to the Lord, I'm sorry I sinned. Because he's not going to buy it if you're blaming it on somebody else. He knows what happened. He knows exactly what happened. And he knows what your intents were, what your thoughts were, everything. Okay, and then in verses 25 through 27, I've got to hurry, it's time for me to finish. Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, and Moses stood in the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. 
How terrible are the consequences of our sin? They're death. The consequences of our sin are death. That's what I've kind of been pounding today. The only people astray. The consequences are death. Don't do it. We need to be covered by the blood of Jesus to be freed from that sin. And we need to make sure that people that we care about know that. We can't. It is not loving to not tell them, to not call them on their sin. In a loving way, I wouldn't suggest going up and saying, hey, stupid. You know, people don't receive that very well. But if you tell them about the hope that is in Jesus and how he can help them get past their sin, the sin of adultery, the sin of alcoholism, the sin of whatever, Jesus can help us get through that. Jesus has the answers. He is the one who provides the way out for us. And he's the one who gives us hope for the future. And that's where we need to be turning. Please don't have to kill your neighbor or your brother because you were drinking with them and throwing back shots at Christmas or something like that. And they think that that's okay behavior for Christians. That's not. It's not. And in verse 33... Uh, verses 1 through 2, the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, and you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, and I will send my angel before you. Um, God provides a way for us, even when he's not happy with us. They had to move on without the Lord's presence, so they thought, before they had the pillar of smoke that led them in the day and the pillar of fire at night. And that was the Lord's presence. But now, if you notice in your Bible, the angel is capitalized. And that means Jesus is who was there. But in their eyes, they thought, well, we had God and now we only have an angel. You know, I would be afraid a little bit. Like, "Uh uh-oh, now I'm separated from the Lord, not knowing I was still with the Lord. Um, But Moses took his tent and pitched it, and this is verses 7 through 10, outside the camp, far Uh, far from the camp and called it the tabernacle of meeting and it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting which was outside the camp and so it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle and it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses All the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. To me, this shows me that the people are finally getting it. Moses isn't telling them to stand at their tent door and worship. He's moved his tent outside the camp, and he's begging the Lord for the people. He's praying. He's seeking the Lord's will. He's seeking the Lord's presence. And the people are finally getting it. They're finally getting the idea that they need to have their own relationship with the Lord, their own time of worship and reverence, and and have their own relationship with God. And in verse 11, it says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. How beautiful it is to be a friend of God. Let us all seek to be his friend and be pleasing to him. In verses 12 through 17, Moses pleads for the people and the Lord's presence to again be with them. He genuinely seeks the Lord's will. 
This is how we should pray. We should be genuinely seeking the Lord's will when we pray. We shouldn't be begging for our own desires. Um, I was boy crazy when I was young, and there were so many the ones. And I can't tell you how thankful I am that I didn't get the little prayers that I had in my teenage mind for me to have this one forever because God had the right one for me. And fortunately, um, not through any smarts of my own, because boy, was I not smart, especially when it came to boys. But through whatever, God protected me, and he made me wait until I got and found the one that he had for me. And geez, we've been married now 23 years, and I could tell you, when you have the one that the Lord has for you, it's good. I have a great, beautiful marriage, and I know that it's because my marriage is blessed by the Lord. And when you try to force a square peg in a round hole, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, you might be able to force it in there and, like, scrape up the sides and stuff because I'm one of those kind of people. I don't read the directions. And so if that piece is left over and that hole is there, I'm going to get a hammer. My husband's the one who takes out the directions and gets all the tools and lays them out. And I'm like, can we just hurry? And so he has us together for a reason because you're not supposed to – bang the square peg into the round hole. And um, it just shows us again a picture of Jesus and how he intercedes for us. Moses was interceding for the people. He was begging for them. And in Hebrews 7.25 it says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And we're almost done. In verses 18 through 23, Moses wants to see the Lord's glory, but no man can see God and live. So Moses is shielded by the rock. Ladies, who is our rock? Jesus is our rock. He was shielded from death by the rock. Chapter 34 is a beautiful picture of God's mercy. Um, Moses is cutting the stone tablets, and he has to carry them the 7,000 feet, Um, for God to write the Ten Commandments back on. But God is giving the people another chance. And in verses 10 through 11, he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe that I command you this day, or what I command you this day, Behold, I'm driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Um, God makes a way for us. He makes a way for us. That's showing us Jesus, is it not? Jesus is the way that God made for us. God makes a way for us. And in verses 12 through 16, he warns the people to be careful to destroy all the altars and symbols of other gods and not to marry the foreigners, lest they be corrupted. More often than not, good behavior is corrupted by bad behavior of other people than your good behavior influencing the bad people's behavior to become good. It is just very hard to do. Um, Be careful. You know, a lot of times we go into situations where we ought not be um, because we're trying to help them and we're going to go evangelize or whatever our intentions are, show them who the Lord is. And we end up doing exactly what everyone else at that party or wherever else we are is doing. Be careful. 
Uh, and let's see. And then in verse 18, he talks about the feasts, and he wants us to remember what he's done for us. He wants us to celebrate and remember all the beautiful things that, that he's done for us, and we need to do that. Um, now we don't so much celebrate most of the like Passover and all that, but I think that we should celebrate what he's done for us by reading his word and growing closer to him and learning more about him. And then in verse 29, tells us about Moses glowing. And I just want to point out how transformed we are, um, how transformed our lives are when we give our lives to Christ. Um, Moses was transformed, but so are we, just in a different way. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are changed by Jesus Christ, and I am so thankful for that. And I hope that this helps you um, see maybe more clearly, if you haven't been seeing Jesus in the Old Testament, how to look for him. And, um, and I hope that you've enjoyed the study today. Let's pray. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word and, again, how beautiful it is. I thank you for these beautiful ladies, and uh, I just pray that their time together in their groups would be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.